All right. We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This, this, this is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Bo. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the 8020 Baseball Podcast, the 8020 Baseball Masterclass, where we are trying to be master coaches in the 20% of things that drive 80% of our results. Of course, that's not an exact ratio, but if you're familiar and hopefully you're familiar with the 8020 principle, that's what we subscribe to here. And we add on and we have different things that we add into the podcast in terms of strategies and tips, but that is a key principle, a key foundational component to this this podcast. Welcome. It's so great to be here with all of you. It fires me up to see the statistics that come to me, that get emailed to me, to see the numbers growing. It fires me up to see that there's younger coaches that are now jumping on board. Before it was under 27, the demographic under 20. I don't even know how it knows ages or what. I don't know how accurate that all is, but it shows me a breakdown of demographics. It'll say where, like what state, what country. It'll also say age. That's about it. But it'll say age in 27 and under group was like at 2% for the first year or whatever of this podcast. And recently that under 27 group has moved up to like eight or 9% of the listener base. That's pretty cool to see. The main reason I put this together was for those dads and even moms that coach youth baseball, youth baseball coaches. That's the main group that I'm speaking to. But with that said, players can definitely find this stuff useful. Absolutely. Of course, professional college coaches, absolutely. Varsity baseball coaches, absolutely. In fact, I do know there are college and professional and high school coaches that do listen to this. With that said, I'm really aiming it. I'm trying my best to aim it towards youth baseball. But at the end of the day, baseball is baseball. So there's obviously going to be a lot of crossover. What I try to do is just make sure we don't get into the really finite details of things that really we don't have time to be getting into. They're not the priority for youth baseball. And also, we try our best to keep it age appropriate in terms of where players should be at in their career, where they are at in their career and where they're at physically and the development physically, et cetera. Something that separates this podcast. And I was talking with a, a longtime listener the other day about this and they appreciated this part of the podcast. And it was good to hear because that's a big driving force behind why I put this podcast out. But having this talk with a coach that's been a longtime listener and to hear them say they appreciated that it was fast paced, it was an efficient podcast. It didn't drag on. I thought that was really good. Speaking of dragging on, we're going to get right into what we need to talk about today. That is quality at bats versus quality pitches. We're going to talk about this angle in just a second, but I wanted to hit on the purpose and the reason and just that really good message that I heard from the coach about we're trying to move faster. We're trying to move along efficiently, not to cut corners, not to skip past things that are important, but I don't want a podcast that drags on, that has a lot of fluff, that has a lot of space and gaps. Interviews typically can get that way unless they're edited. I double edit every single podcast. I send it off to an editor that is a professional editor, Sam, and Sam does an outstanding job. And Sam shaves off a good amount of dead space and the ums and things like that that are just part of dialogue. And then I get it. And then I go back to make sure that I haven't said anything that's extra or redundant or in case there's something on there that might hinder the clarity of the message. I go through and I eliminate it out. So you 
you get a polished, double polished product. With that said, let's get into the quality at-bats versus quality pitches. If you're not familiar with quality at-bats, I do recommend go do a little research on this online. I'm going to give you a quick synopsis of quality at-bats. A lot of you have heard the term quality at-bats before, so I'm not going to go really deep into what a quality at-bat is because I want to tie it into something bigger and actually give you something, what I recommend, even a better way to assess, a better way to measure a hitter's plan and a hitter's success. A quality at-bat is somewhat of a metric. It is a way to assess a hitter's performance at the plate. It is much better than using batting average. And in a lot of ways, it's even better and more accurate, a more accurate indicator, a more accurate statistic, a more accurate way of assessing how well a hitter is doing at the plate. For example, you can have what is considered a quality at-bat. So you can go and you can get a check or a point for a quality at-bat, even though the hitter struck out. For example, if the hitter is up there for, say, typically it's about eight pitches or 10 pitches, they have an extended at-bat. That would be considered a quality at-bat, regardless of the end result. The end result may be a strikeout, but the hitter was up there, they battled, they didn't chase some pitches early, they worked the count, they worked hard, battled with two strikes. Maybe they strike out, but they saw nine pitches, 11 pitches, 10 pitches. You can pick a number that works for you in terms of that aspect of quality at-bats, whether it's eight pitches per at-bat or more, that's a quality at-bat or 10. Typically, it's about eight pitches, but you can pick something that you think there might be a better number, seven, might be nine, I don't know. But the idea is that a quality at-bat is something that can be earned. It can be a plus, A you can get credit for a quality at-bat. So you could get credit for one quality at-bat plus one in the, in the column, plus one on that statistic sheet, even though the hitter struck out or even though the hitter got out. For example, a line drive, a line drive in the box score is an 0 for 1 or whatever. It's an 0 for. It doesn't count towards batting average, towards slugging percentage, towards on base percentage, but it does count as a quality at bat because in the quality at bat conversation, a line drive is considered a quality at bat, a well hit ball, a hard hit ball, seeing a lot of pitches, a quality sacrifice, bunt, etc. Go look up quality at bats. There's a list of things. There's a multiple lists online of quality at bats and what constitutes or what would be considered a quality at bat. So go look those up. But here's the thing. I'm actually proposing we take it one step further. There's an there's still even as good as quality at bats and using that as a measurement. Was it a quality at bat or was it not a quality at bat? Even though that measurement, in my opinion, is much better than using batting average, it's actually, in my opinion, almost better than using any certain statistics such as on base percentage or slugging percentage because it takes into account the things that don't or the things that statistics will actually show the opposite of what truly happened in terms of did the hitter do their job? Did they execute? Did they follow the process? Did they do a good job at what they were trying to do? Line drive is a perfect example. You smoke a ball right to the shortstop, you crush the pitch. Hey, that's not your fault that you hit it right at the shortstop. You crush the pitch, shortstop made a good play, it was a line drive, or you hit a ball in the gap, you crush a ball in the gap and the center fielder runs it down. Who's to say that the other team, their center fielder is a stud, got to it, where a lot of teams they wouldn't. So now one is a out and one is a hit and the out in a lot of ways, in most ways, when it comes to statistics, looks just like every other out, like a weak fly ball or a pop-up or a strikeout. We all know that those aren't equivalent. Those aren't the same. So it's not fair to hitters that smoke a ball in the gap that gets robbed, that gets a diving catch on it. It's not fair. In my opinion, you could say it's not, you, whatever. It's not really about fair and not fair. It's not accurate to say that that hitter didn't do their job. So if you want to understand and you want to get a clearer picture 
a better measurement of hitter success, you have to separate the outs into certain categories. There are quality at bat outs. There are also base hits and things that happen on the flip side that weren't necessarily quality at bats. Good example, an OO pitch, no balls, no strikes, zero balls, zero strikes. And a hitter chases a breaking ball down six inches off the ground, a la Vladimir Guerrero, and they're out in front of it. They got fooled. The pitch really didn't have much of a chance to be a strike. It's the first pitch of the at-bat. They're not looking for something in their hot zone. They're obviously just going up there swinging, and they swing and they just hit a little blooper that falls in between some fielders, right? There's a miscommunication between the infielders and outfielders that falls in, and it's a hit. Well, to me, that is not a quality at-bat. So it works both ways. You're giving hitters quality at-bats, even though they got out sometimes, and you're taking away or you're you're not giving them. They don't qualify for a quality at-bat if, in that case, they did something that really wasn't the right way to do it, but they got a, the right result, right? So we're really focused on process here. With all that said, I propose, I recommend you take it one step further. Now, this is not something that I've heard anywhere else. I do share a lot of good information from other coaches that I share other parts of the baseball community, other people within the baseball community. We do book reviews. I do recommendations here and there. Absolutely. I have other coaches come on here and share their information from coaches that I've really got a good high level respect for their knowledge of the game. But with that said, there are some things that we talk about here that are organic. The hitting plan is something that I believe is not talked about anywhere else out there that I know of. And I follow a lot of baseball streams, a lot of avenues of baseball coaching discussions, and it's not necessarily talked about. And this is another one of them. I propose you do a quality pitch metric. Now, it's not a quality pitch by the pitcher. The term quality pitch, that description quality pitch is typically used for pitchers making quality pitches. I propose you, and you can title it whatever you want, but if you really want to break down the process, you can't stop at quality at bat. Quality at bat in and of itself still has some flaws. Now, some of you that are listening to this are big quality at bat fans. You're going, how does it have flaws? Well, if you sit there and just think about it for just a few minutes or even 30 seconds, you'll see them. You'll understand. It's like batting average. Batting average doesn't account for walks. It doesn't give credit for walks. Obviously, right there, as a coach, I got to dismiss that because walks are huge for hitters. They're going up. So it essentially, if you're patient and you don't swing it and you don't swing it bad pitches, you're not getting rewarded for the walk. Now, on base percentage, we'll factor that in, but batting average doesn't factor in walks. It also counts every hit the same. It counts a double off the wall, the same as a bloop single that was on a bad pitch that shouldn't have been swung out in the first pitch of that bat, for example. So batting average has some big flaws. Quality at bat has some minor flaws, but I do propose that you that we, if we want to be more accurate towards really assessing and measuring a hitter's plan, approach, and success at the plate, true success, we evaluate each pitch. This can be done as simply as having a clipboard with the hitter's name and a little tally, a little tally, two columns, yes or no, or successful, not successful, or one or zero. Now, we could get even more detailed on that, but to keep it simple, but also more effective, in my opinion, than quality at bat and telling and giving a more accurate assessment of a hitter's success at the plate, true success, you would measure each pitch and how they did and what they did on each pitch. And I know they don't swing at every pitch, but if they take a pitch right down the middle when they weren't in, say, take mode, plan take, if they weren't in a take mode, which shouldn't be that often, if they were just, if they just took a pitch right down the middle and it was a very hittable pitch, well, that would be, or that would go into the column of not successful or a zero or a negative one, depending on how you want to score it. Now, here's what happens. The hitter goes up there and they take the first pitch right down the middle and they take one right down the middle in their hitting zone. Not a pitcher strike, but like literally a hitter strike, mid thigh, right down the middle, flat, should have been all over it, or at least should have put a good 
good swing on it. And then the second pitch, for example, is a pitch that's a curveball, bounces in the dirt, but the hitter swings at it. Well, they're swinging at curveballs in the dirt. That's bad enough with two strikes, but that's terrible with less than two strikes to be swinging at anything in the dirt with less than two strikes. That should never happen. Does it happen with two strikes? It will because you're expanding your zone. As a hitter, you got to swing at more pitches. You don't want to go down looking. So it's going to happen more with two strikes, but it should not happen. Hitters should never swing at a pitch in the dirt that bounces and hits the dirt. I don't even care if it hits right by the catcher's feet. They should never swing at a pitch that hits the dirt with less than two strikes. There's no reason, unless they're a really, really short player and the, you know they're really short. That's one thing. Like a youth player, maybe they're like, I don't know, whatever. They're just short and the ball, their knees aren't that far from the ground. But by and large, no pun intended, they should not be swinging at pitches that hit the dirt. So let's say a hitter does. They swing at a breaking ball in the dirt with one strike in the 0-1 count because they took the meatball fastball right down the middle thigh high. On the second pitch, they swung at a pitch in the dirt. So now they're at two strikes. Stay with me here. I'm going to illustrate why quality at bats to me isn't as accurate. Now the pitcher makes a mistake with two strikes. They're trying to go fastball a little off the plate, breaking ball down, change up down, what have you, a fastball elevated, and they make a mistake and the hitter hits a single. The hitter does good on this pitch. Yeah, this would be considered a yes or a one or a successful pitch. But the quality at bat metric is going to say, yes, quality at bat, or just give them a point for that quality at bat. But in reality, they were actually less successful on that bat than they were successful. They had a bad plan, a bad process, two out of the three pitches. But now you're going to give them credit because the pitcher made a mistake with two strikes. I don't think that's an accurate assessment. What it does also, keep this in mind, this is probably the most advantageous thing, this whole idea. What it does is it tells hitters that each pitch is important. When you communicate with your hitters that you were scoring every single pitch, whether they swing or not, you were scoring every single pitch. They can get a point or lose a point, or you could do it a one, zero, negative one, depending on your system. You could come up with your own system that you might think better fits. I have a system that I use and it's not exactly ones and zeros like computer programming, but it is simple. It's something that you can do effectively each pitch because remember, you're going to do this maybe a hundred times a game or more. So it's got to be a system that's easy. It's got to be a number system, a way to assess. It can be a yes or no tally mark, you know, two columns, yes or no, or one or zero or one, zero, negative one. And you can just tally real quick. You're not going to do the math during the game. The only thing you got to do at the end of the game is simply just find an average. That's why I like ones and zeros, one, zero or negative one, depending on the outcome. Here's why I say a zero. A zero would be a first pitch. For example, the pitcher throws one off the backstop, goes bull Durham on us. Charlie Sheen in his spring training debut with the cutoff sleeves, no hat. So the pitcher throws one off the backstop. It's not even close to this. And there's no reason no hitter would ever swing at that pitch. Well, I don't agree with giving them a point, the hitter a point for that one. But there are a lot of cases. In most cases, there will be a point subtracted or earned, a point deducted or a point added. If the pitcher throws a pitcher's strike, a little hard to tell sometimes from the side. Behind home plate, it's a little easier. And each hitter's hitting zone is going to vary a little bit. Not that much when you really think about it. Let's say the pitcher throws a good strike on the knees. Maybe the umpire gives him a strike. It's a couple inches, two, three inches off the plate. The umpire gives it to him. We know in youth baseball, this happens at all levels. Umpires will give a few inches sometimes, sometimes not. Sometimes they'll give six inches or more. The hitter does not swing at that pitch. Even though it's a strike, the hitter does not swing at it. Well, then that would be a yes, like a successful pitch for the hitter. They did not swing at the pitcher's pitch so long as there's less than two strikes. If there's two strikes, this is a that's a different ball game. If a hitter puts a good swing on a pitch and fouls it off, they put a good swing on a hitter's pitch. It's a pitch that they should have swung at. It was in their hitting zone, yet they foul it off. They just miss it. But they took they put a good swing. They were on time for a pitch in their zone. To me, that counts as a plus. That's a yes. That's a 
successful pitch. The final result was not successful, but the plan, the approach was successful. Now, this is the one area that could be a drawback if not used accurately or worked through. And that is, if you do it this way, each hit is the same. But with that in mind, the idea that we should score each pitch, evaluate each pitch to me gives a better indication of the where the hitter's at as a hitter, especially in terms of the process, their plan, their approach. This is definitely better at scoring the plan and the approach than the swing. The swing can be factored in or scored based off of how many pitches that were quality hitters pitches that they swung at did they do something with? How many did they hit a line drive with? So you could have two different statistics there, but really we're trying to assess first and foremost, are they swinging at good pitches? Are they taking pitchers pitches? Are they not chasing pitches that they shouldn't chase? And I really truly believe that if we want to get an accurate scoring system, a more accurate scoring system, we do it on a pitch to pitch basis. We also send the message that no pitch is unimportant, that that first pitch can earn them a point. That first pitch can lose them a point. That hitters can't just turn it on when they get to two strikes, that they can't just wait until they've seen a pitch or two just to turn it on. And they should be able to earn positive or negative statistics, negative measurements, positive measurements each pitch. The number one thing Ted Williams recommended all hitters do, the first thing they got to do, all great hitters, and the first thing he recommended all hitters do is swing at a good pitch. Get a good pitch to hit or take it if it's not. Of course, that's with less than two strikes, but you could take the two strike approach and somewhat say the same thing. Don't swing at a pitch wildly out of the zone and make sure you protect the zone. With less than two strikes, get a hitter's pitch, get a good pitch to hit. That was Ted Williams, what made him so successful. He had a nice swing, but it wasn't like it was a swing you're like, oh, I've never seen that swing before. There's a lot of good swings. There's always good swings in baseball, but he was getting good pitches to swing at. I should say he was swinging at good pitches. He was more selective and he was ready for his pitch and he was more willing to take those pitches that were not his pitch or in his hitting zone. And so if we want our hitters, if we want to send the message to our hitters, which we should be, that each pitch is important. If we want to score each pitch, this is how you do it. This is the only way you can do it. Because if you just use the result as is, all statistics are typically a result. All baseball, all hitting statistics are results-based. And that's okay. That's okay. But it also leaves out a lot of the pitches that the hitter's up there. A hitter may see 18 or 20 pitches in a game, but on the scorebook, there's only four results. Could be a walk, could be a hit, could be an out, a fielder's choice, what have you, a fly ball, an F7. In the scorebook, it might only show four or five results. But the hitter was up there for 15 or 20 or maybe 25 pitches. You know, I went to a game a few years back and Brandon Belt set the major league record for the longest at bat. It was a just a random game. It was an Angels-Giants game. I went with some family. We got there just before the at-bat started. And as the at-bat was going, I looked at my brother-in-law, who's really into baseball, and I said, this is a pretty long at-bat. This is getting borderline. I've never seen something like this before. I mean, I've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of at-bats. And I go, this is a little abnormal. Sure enough, Brandon Belt set the record for the longest at-bat, the most pitches in an at-bat in major league history right there in front of us. But he popped up. It was actually, he finished the at-bat, a weak fly ball. He just hit a weak fly ball to end the at-bat. There's no other way to describe it. Just a weak, lazy, easy out fly ball. Well, in the scorebook, that's an 0 for. That's 0 for 1. That's a negative. That's not good. But are you telling me we can accurately assess that at-bat just by looking at the scorebook and seeing F7 or F8 or F9 or 6-3 or ground ball or what have you? You know, and I know we all know that that's not how it should be done, at least if we want to be very accurate. And this isn't something that should take a lot of work. In fact, it could be done with just some simple columns, some simple math and a calculator at the end of the game. You could even do it after the game. If you don't want to worry about doing this or have an assistant coach do this during the game, you could very well do this after the game using a camera. You videotape the game. You could just go through it really quick. You could even fast forward from pitch to pitch. You could 
could probably evaluate all your hitters pitches much faster, even a quarter of the time the actual game took to play. So I was excited and eager to share this out with all of you as the season ramps up, as it starts to get going. We want our hitters to be up there and have a good plan each pitch. We want them to have a good hitting plan, a good hitting approach. Well, how do we evaluate that? How do we give them? Can we say, oh, that was a good take or that was a good. How about we have a number system, a metric that can measure this? You could keep it as simple as to start off as simple as was the result of the pitch a successful thing that they did? Did they take a pitch that they shouldn't have swung at? They get a point. Did they swing with a good quality swing? Were they on time with a good quality swing? Did they not look super fooled on a pitch in the hitting zone? Well, that's a point. Did they get a hit? That's a point. Did they drive the ball, line drive somewhere? That's a point. Did they chase a pitch? That's minus a point. Did they get fooled on a pitch big time? That's a minus point. So you can factor in minus points, a minus a point or, and plus a point. And there's also the zeros where the pitcher just throws one off the backstop that had no chance of being in the zone or any pitch. In other words, that's nowhere near the zone that 99.99% of hitters would never swing at because it was just so bad. Like it bounced 14 feet in front of the plate or went over the catcher's head, et cetera. You get my point. Think about that. Think about how you can start assessing the hitters based off of how they did, what they did each pitch rather than waiting to see the final result of the at-bat, which might not be a completely accurate indicator of how well that hitter was doing. Again, quality at-bats are better to use as a statistic than any statistic out there, any number statistics, slugging percentage or OPS or batting average or any of those. Unless you can factor in war and do the war math and have some sabermetric general manager working as a father for your team, or he's a father of one of the kids on your team, the best way to score an at-bat would be this way and also using quality at-bats. I would take quality at-bats if you don't want to do the pitch to pitch. Definitely for your kid, you should be assessing each pitch. This is good because if they go up there, they may go 0 for 3. They may go up there and have a long at-bat, maybe six pitches, and they did the right thing. They swung at their pitch on the first two. They put a good swing. They were on time. They just missed it. They just didn't they didn't connect, and that's part of baseball. It's a round ball and a round bat. It's not always going to work out, but they were on time. They made a good swing. They just missed a pitch. They didn't hit it. They fouled it off, or they ripped one foul. They ripped one for a line drive. One way, that's one thing that the quality at-bat doesn't factor in. What if a guy goes up there, a kid goes up there, and he smokes three foul balls, drills one down the right field line, a couple down the left field line. You know, they're change-ups or breaking balls. They're good pitches, but he hits them hard, but they're just foul. And then they hit a fly ball to center field. That result, that would be considered not a quality at-bat because it didn't go past, say, eight pitches. It was a fly ball. It was an out. It wasn't a line drive. But they smoked three pitches, and maybe they took a pitch with two strikes that was borderline that they took, but they didn't swing at it, and it was a ball. That, to me, should earn some points. That, to me, should earn some praise. That, to me, is something we should be able to put into some sort of scoring system, statistic, etc. All right, so think about how that can play out with your team, how you can assess your hitters or at least your own kid and their approach, their plan at the plate. How can you put it into some kind of number system where the kids love numbers, they love gamification? How can we do that on a pitch-to-pitch basis rather than an at-bat-to-at-bat basis? And I look forward to being back here next week. Hey, if you haven't gone and checked out, there's the pitching webinars on the website, 8020 Baseball. The pitching webinar recording is on there, available. You can go on there and you can buy that. And even if you don't want to watch the entire thing, I'll send you a table of contents on it that'll tell you exactly when we talked about certain things on that two and a half hour, almost two and a half hour webinar. Go on there if you just want to use that as kind of a way to support the podcast, because a lot of that goes to my editing costs and to support the time that I put into this. So if you want to go on there and just purchase that, you can have access to that recording along with the other videos. If you don't want to watch the entire two and a half hours, or I think it's two hours and 20 minutes, don't worry, I'll give you a table of contents when we talk about each thing that you you can look for topics that you want to learn more about. So it's a win-win. You could support the podcast 
podcast, you can support the show that's going on 119. We've been on this for, I don't know, almost close to 4,000 minutes of airtime, no commercial. So if you wouldn't mind, that would be awesome. Go on there. You get access to that. Plus you support the podcast with that. Until next week, you know what I'm going to say. Take care of your health. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. Take care of your friends. And take this out there. Take this information out there. Take care of your team. Take care of the baseball community. And until next Tuesday, adios. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.